Welcome, everyone, to the Parent Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Chikumba. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm joined by my amazing co-host, Lisette Trujillo. Hey, folks. This is Lizette, she, her, Aya. Each week, we bring you our take on the things happening in the world from the perspective of two parents of BIPOC transgender kids. Lisette, can you believe that it is episode six? I can't. Like, it flew by. But I'm so excited for today's show because it's Mother's Day and we're celebrating me, but we're also interviewing my hubby. Yeah, so today's episode is definitely going to be special. Once again, everyone, welcome to today's show and let's get started. Happy Mother's Day, Lisette. How have you been? Thank you. I'm good. I'm tired. I'm super excited for our big event that's coming up this coming weekend or the weekend that comes. How do we say it? (laughs) Okay, y'all. It's supposed to be a secret what's happening. So Lisette is feeling some kind of way because she almost gave away the secret. But we do have something big coming up this weekend and we will let you know after it passes because it's that secret it's that top secret we can't even share but yes I it's super vault but i'm like on adrenaline excited yes so again this week looks like it did during the week before p-tech i'm at the warehouse again um packaging packaging orders so that we can leave and our clients can be happy all right so for everyone who doesn't know p-tech is the parents for transgender equality council where lisa and i spent three days together in mm-hmm. our Airbnb down in DC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yes. So, you know what? I'm, I I don't like the fact that y'all always packing. Jose needs to be doing some more packing. I feel like just because he's the artist and he be drawing and painting and, and sculpting and doing all kinds of stuff doesn't mean that he can't also do some packing. All right. I'm going to have to talk to him. I'm definitely going to have to talk to him about that. Okay. So besides and that, he ha- does help me. Oh man, now don't don't try to clean it up now. Um, have you all been free of the stupid stupidos that have been trying to mess up your your school? Yes, because the the school board meetings went virtual, and so we're super lucky to just be done with them until the end of the year. What have you been up to, Stephen? So, like you, uh, I was down in D.C for the Parents for Transgender Equality Council annual convening. That was amazing. Um, Like, I was really happy to see everyone. We haven't seen each other in at least a year for the most part, outside of the kind of the interstitial stuff that some of us do. But to see us all together was was really exciting. Um, And I'm feeling super gassed from that that experience. But while I was there, I also picked up the kids. So, you know, I've got two, one's at Howard, the other one's at Johns Hopkins. So we picked them up, piled in the car. It was a hot mess because, of course, Nicole brought a suitcase like we were going to be in D.C. for a month, not just a little overnight bag. And all the children's stuff was coming back with us. I was like, woman, what is happening? I don't travel light either. I try. I try. Listen, I can't. It's all good. It all worked out notwithstanding because I looked at her like she was some kind of crazy thing with that big ass suitcase but to her credit she had a lot of outfits and it was all done well we got it all packed in so I I can't be so mad Um, but probably the most I'm going to say annoying thing that happened was you know Hobbs got his 
driver's permit because this summer he turned 17, he could start driving. And this was all, he got it pre changing his name. And so all the paperwork came in. And so we did all the things we had to do to get all the paperwork and gender markers and everything aligned went through this arduous process. You know what it's like going to the DMV. You know how difficult it is getting an appointment, getting in line, make sure you have your six points of identification and yada, yada, yada. So we did all that, get to the, the, the clerk. They're doing everything. They're taking the pictures. They're just, they're doing everything. And of course you don't get it that day. They sent it in the mail. While we were in DC, he got it. He was all excited. And then he was like, they got the gender marker wrong. What? Yes. They got the gender marker wrong after going through all of that arduous bullshit. Now we have to go back, make another appointment for them to fix it. And I don't even know what that process is like, because I'm like, okay, we gave you all the stuff you needed and yet you still got it wrong. So, and I know this is, you know, this is low, like in terms of the effed up shit that trans people have to deal with in the world. But it's still one of those things where you're just like, gee, it. It's actually not low. It's like the number one thing I help families with is like figuring out the processes for getting correct identification documents. Like this is one of the most important pieces for trans people, especially when you're talking about like safety while driving. Um it's, I'm really sorry. When we get off of this, I'm going to send you a link that'll give you everything you need to know. Well, I thought I had everything I need to know. That's the part that makes this so frustrating. It's not like I was just like going about this willy nilly, like, oh, let's just see what happens. Like I no, no, literally no. did the math, had everything, had stuff in triplicate just in case, you know what I'm saying? I had backups to the backup. And even then it, it, it was, you know, it came back wrong. And again, I, I you know, I didn't mean to make light of documentation. I think from my perspective in terms of dealing with the bullshit that trans people and their families have to deal with, for us, this has been the least of it. And it's not to say that it's a a low thing because again, when I was at um, my former employer, there was a Slack channel um, for the out front Uh, BRG, which was the LGBTQ plus BRG. And one of the things that so many people kept just agonizing over was seeing their, you know, their former names popping up in things and emails and, you know, employee records, just things that, you know, they had thought they had cleared up with HR. They had thought they had done all the things necessary for those ghosts in the machine to have gone away and to constantly be reminded in a workplace setting and then have other people using their dead names. It was like one of those things that was just, it was really frustrating. Um, and to to see it play itself out in at work, you know, where people are supposed to just go in, you know, clock in, clock out, do their job, but to constantly have to, you know, fight to be seen and recognized as you are, um, it, it must be very challenging. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're doing the good work um, and you're helping families kind of navigate because it is one of those things where, you know, it's not straightforward. It's not necessarily it's easy. Not. And even if you do everything right, like I'm a dude with a freaking law degree, 
You know what I mean? I'm not a dude who has any difficulty understanding the English language or understanding instructions or understanding statutes and codes and any of that stuff. And still stuff comes back to me incorrect. So yeah, that, that's, that's, uh, that's something, but. And, and it's also dependent on like who the person is that's yes, helping you. Absolutely. Like we, when we um, corrected Daniel's social security before we went to MVD. Um, What's MVD? The person, oh, motor vehicle department, the oh, Arizona motor vehicle department. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, the person at social security purposefully did not correct Daniel's gender and did something wonky. So when we got Daniel's social security card, it said M Daniel and then our last name. And I was like, that's weird. And I got a call from social security telling me that the error had been flagged on their end and that they were sending me a replacement. So um, yeah, it really is dependent on who the person working the window is. Um, it's really frustrating. You want it to just work seamlessly. And what's great though, too, is that like, I feel like at the federal level, they are doing what they can to try to make the processes easier, but still, it's still, it's like cumbersome. Yeah, it's cumbersome. And and, and it's so interesting. You said something that, I, that triggered something for me. And it's that the person that you get at the window, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was reading somewhere this week about I can't even remember the state, but some state legislature is trying to push forward a bill that would allow people to discriminate based on their religious, um, you know, based on their religious beliefs, which means that if I don't want you, person X, to have whatever you should be entitled to as a citizen of this state, I can say, your gender identity, your, you know, your gender expression, because you don't even necessarily know a person's gender identity, but your expression offends me. And so you, it offends my religious beliefs. And so I don't have to serve you. I don't have to provide you whatever you're entitled to. That's just, it's a slippery slope. And I don't think that people really appreciate just how much it is creating problems. Um, this patchwork of laws in different states is creating problems. So yeah, there's that. I mean, if they don't want to, if they want the ability to discriminate, then they shouldn't reap the benefits of uh, federal employment through our tax dollars, right? Absolutely. 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 Um, but, you know, I didn't mean to, to have us go far so far down the road with what I was doing. Let's, let's get to today's topic, shall we? Sounds good. All right. So... Dell Children's Medical Center in Texas is being investigated by the Attorney General Ken Paxton because of allegedly providing gender affirming care to patients, to minor patients in the state. And so as a result, Dell Children's Medical Center just fired all the physicians in the Children's Center. They got rid of them rather than stand up to these draconian laws, rather than ensure that the patients could continue to be cared for. And again, we're not even talking about trans youth. We're just talking about children because there are cisgender children that were being serviced at that hospital. Now those doctors are gone. 
and those children no longer have doctors. And it's crazy to me that people are not fully cognizant of what the effect of these laws actually are when they're like, yeah, they shouldn't allow these transgender people to have access to gender affirming care. Those children are too young. They should wait until they're 18. And not only that, but I think we also forget that A.G. Paxton is still under investigation for securities fraud. Talk about it. Like, why does he get to make these decisions that harm people in his state and still hold an elected office so that he can harm people while being investigated? It makes no sense to me at all whatsoever at all the the reality is that the repugnants are the most corrupt criminal unethical immoral people that we have in government now most people of conscience if they have an investigation against them they take the high road and they say i'm going to resign because i believe this investigation will hamper my ability to do my job, reduces the public's confidence in me. And so to avoid the air of impropriety or any of that stuff, I'm going to step down and let someone else who is not similarly impacted to take this role and continue to represent the interests of the people of the great state of Texas. No, no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to fight tooth and nail. And all the while, I'm going to be the most evil, heinous, person I can possibly be and hurt and injure as many people as I possibly can while I'm at it. And not only did uh, Dell Children's Medical Center wrongly, wrongfully fire all these doctors, but the Texas healthcare ban SB 14 passed yesterday um, and is set to go to the governor's desk. Um, so we are in solidarity with all of our family, chosen family in Texas. And so for folks who are unfamiliar with SB 14, that is the healthcare ban in Texas, which precludes the provision of gender affirming care for transgender and non-binary uh, youth in the state of Texas. And so once again, we are at the crossroads where all major medical associations say this care is absolutely necessary and a bunch of heinous evil Republican senators and members of the house say meh who cares we don't think it's it's tested we don't think it's true we think it's experimental and so we're going to ban it and now all of these children and their families are going to be left hanging you know and it's just it's unconscionable it's unconscionable and again people aren't thinking about the fact that when you say that this care is no longer capable of being provided to trans youth you're actually taking that care away from cisgender youth as well, because doctors are not going to want to put themselves in jeopardy. Hospitals are making decisions based on what's good for their shareholders, not what's good for the patients. And so you're going to have doctors and nurses and medical practitioners leaving the state because they don't want to be in a place where they can't do their jobs, where politicians are telling them who can get care and who can't versus doctors and their and their families and their patients who are actually in the best position to determine what kind of care people actually need. It's so upsetting. Um, I think that puts us at what, 20 states now? Yep. <sighs> well, so there's there's one good thing that happened um, last week um, and, and it's 
it's going to come from the most unlikely source. So, so put on your seatbelts, sit down, you know, brace yourselves. The Supreme Court unanimously ruled in favor of a transgender immigrant seeking asylum in the United States. I'm going to let so that happy. sit in. No, no, no. You, I'm, I'm glad you're happy, but I just let, I need to, to just sit for a second because the Supreme Court, six conservative justices and three liberal justices unanimously agreed that a transgender Guatemalan immigrant coming to the United States was entitled to a day in court to argue her asylum case. And that, that at first, I just want to say congratulations, Leon Santos Zacaria. Um, this is really, really important. I think, you know, the, I think what's also really important is that um, Zacaria had already been removed from the country twice and appealed this twice, which is why it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, it's so important that the Supreme Court make this kind of statement or judgment, I guess I should say, because this intersection is truly at the crux of a larger human rights crisis, right? Of what's Absolutely. of the violence LGBTQI people face in other countries. Um, I, I have uh, friends, friends who have won their asylum cases um, and have been allowed to stay here in this country. And I can't, tell you what a relief it is for the people who love them and who worry for their well-being and safety. Um, there's so many incredible trans-led organizations that do this work um, when we're talking about immigrant asylum rights. And uh, I'm just really happy. It's a great. Yeah, great, great. it really is. Um, you know, when you kind of peel back the layers of this case, it's as you said, this is the second time this case has come up. Um, and it's the first time that the unanimous Supreme Court has done. I mean, so let me just step back. First and foremost, the the decision was written by Katanji Brown. So let's just let's just sit there for a minute as well because she's amazing. Um, yeah. She comes from this fabric of you know civil rights and advocacy and 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 fighting for the rights of the disenfranchised and downtrodden. And so her authoring this opinion, I think, was really important. Um, but more importantly, the fact that they're saying, hey, you can't rule differently when the same underlying factual scenario presents itself. And so if a person is saying, hey, I fear for my life, and if you send me back to my country, I will be killed. And that person is told, you've got to go back. When another person making the exact same case, coming from the exact same place, makes the same argument, is allowed to stay. Like You have to be able to reconcile the differences, and you have to be able to create a factual record for why you're deciding differently when you have the same underlying set of facts. And so I think it, it bodes well for them when they go back, and this case is ultimately decided by the uh, U.S. immigration officials that it will be decided correctly, simply because there is no justifiable basis for them to not rule in their favor. So that's a spot of good news. And I was very happy to to read that and to learn about that. But something else happened that I think is also great. And that is Kansas City is actively seeking to become a sanctuary city in the middle of Missouri. Now, for folks who are not aware, Missouri is just it's a horrible place to be right now if you're a transgender person and their family. It's just they've done everything to not only 
prevent transgender minors from accessing gender affirming care, but transgender adults from accessing gender affirming care. It's like, and, and folks pay attention because what's happening in these states is the blueprint for what they're trying to do in other states. And so if you are not on the front foot, affirmatively fighting back against it, you will find yourself moving from state to state to state to state to state, trying to find a place to live because these Republican supermajorities are doing everything in their power to prevent transgender people from living happy, healthy lives with all the rights, liberties, and dignities of citizenship that other people uh, enjoy. So the fact that Kansas City is actively looking for a way to craft legislation that will allow transgender people living in the confines of that state to be safe, I think is pretty amazing. It's really amazing. And I hope that it happens. I mean, especially for the people of Missouri, um, it's such a scary time. And I can't imagine what it must feel like um, as trans adults watching this all happen across the country, only to realize that your care is implicated too. And so fingers crossed that Kansas City makes this happen. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think there are sometimes glimmers of hope that that we attach to, um, to to make it feel like all is not lost. Um, Kansas City, the Supreme Court, this secret that we're holding on to, these are yes. things that um, really fill me with joy and let me know that all is not lost. But I know we could go on and on and on and on and on with today's topics, but let's not forget, we've got a guest waiting for us. Woo! All right, Lisette, I am so excited for our guest today, um, who is none other than your hubby, Chewy. So I'm going to let you do the the uh, the introductions because I think you know him a little bit better than I do. So I'm super excited to introduce you all to Chewy, aka Jose Trujillo. Um, Jose Trujillo is an artist and a small business owner and a proud father of a transgender son. He was born in Guadalajara, Mexico in 1982 and moved to the United States of America with his family when he was nine years old. We both reside in Arizona, as many of you know. Um, as I said, he's a self-taught artist who now has a thriving business. Um, he's been featured in different galleries, but we've moved on online. And so I could go on and on and on and on. He's my favorite person, but here he is. Jose. The crowd Yay. goes wild. The crowd goes wild. The crowd goes he's the world's greatest living artist. <laughs> so welcome to our show, Jose. It's nice for you to join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you, Lisette. Thank you. I'm, I feel honored to be in uh, y'all's uh, space. So thank you. That's nice to have you. So tell him to your... share it with, with all his followers on Instagram. Why oh, yeah. hasn't he done that yet, Stephen? No, he's going to. He's going to because That's now awesome. he has a reason to because he's actually on the show. So he can't front Got anymore. It. Very true. Um, Jose, we know you're Lisette's husband, um, but as she just explained to all of us, you're also a self-taught professional artist like please explain to me how you came to be doing art for a living oh man this is like my time to shine <laughs> i i have that the quintessential story of the artist that just believed since i was a little kid that i was an artist and i just kind just one thing left to another you know it was like a little sequence of events i remember when i was a kid in in, in mexico i was a uh 
I don't know, seven, eight years old. And somebody, some, we, we were drawing some, a map, something like that. And, and I was at a friend's house and, and his mom was like, oh my God, we have an artist here. And I think she's just being nice, you know, but I believed it. Like I knew, like I, I already felt, you know, like little kids are like, I was like, of course, of course we have an artist here. What are you talking about, woman? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I, I assumed the, the, the idea, right? The character and the idea of, of being an artist. Uh, um, yeah, so yeah, it's pretty much that. Wow. <laughs> now at 40, I still believe that for some reason. <laughs> and I'm saying you've got you've got my money to prove it, okay? Because yeah. <laughs> I bought your work. So it's true. Um, it's true. New yeah, that, that's amazing. Um, thank you for your friend's mom for actually giving you that spark. That's that's pretty cool. Jose, you're in the documentary short, The Dads by Lucina Fisher, which took six dads of trans non-binary kids on a fishing trip in Oklahoma. What was the experience like for you? Oh, man, that was, first of all, it was, it was, uh, the space was amazing and, and the people amazing. Um, I guess if I could, if I could share what the experience was, it was, it was, it was new. And new experiences always tend to to uh, leave a mark, and and that's how I can describe it. It was a new experience. I've never been in a in a place where where uh, other fathers, other dads were not only sharing the same space, but we're sharing the same stories across. And even though we we had, came from different uh, backgrounds, different different uh, storylines, if you will. Uh, ultimately, we had this this common thread: uh, big parents of of uh, transgender um, kids. So, you yeah. know, it's interesting, Jose, because you and I were there with uh, with Frank, with Dennis, with Pete, um, with uh, Wayne, um, and you're right. We we couldn't have been more different. You know, different states, different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds different immigrant status, citizen status, um, different walks of life, careers, et cetera. And yet in that time that we shared together, you would not have known that we were not like fast friends. You wouldn't have known that we didn't have a lot in common that many of us were meeting for the very first time. What do you think in your opinion anyway, made our connection so special? I mean, I, I, I think there's a, a few things that 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 connected us and, and made it made it somewhat special. But but what what made what made the connection so special, I think, is that we were vulnerable. We were all willing to open up, and and that alone, uh, putting our our uh, our cis head aside, our idea of of, of uh, you know this this this. Uh, macho thing this this uh manly man thing and all of that all of that stuff putting that aside and, and being willing to open up and be vulnerable with each other because uh culturally men are not are not are not vulnerable we're not supposed to be we're not supposed to open up we're not supposed to talk about about uh our feelings it's it's not it's not accepted amongst us not, not i'm not just even saying you know, culture as a whole, but amongst us, it's not even accepted. We, we, we're never really open. So 
Yeah. So one of the things you I mean, he's nervous. He's like nervously fidgeting like under me. I had to scoot over because I can feel like his legs moving and like so just a reminder of like the vulnerability. <laughs> I, I get fidgety when I talk about serious stuff. There it is, Jose. I'm with you. Don't let her demean you just because it's her day. It's your day because you're <laughs> our guest today. No, but no, in all seriousness, that that topic of vulnerability, I think it strikes a chord with me because you know, we're talking about things that are really intimate and really personal that isn't really the subject matter for most manly, manly man conversations. And, and you and I in particular, we talked about the reaction of family members to learning about our children's gender identity and, and the difficulty we've had navigating our familial relationships. So what has your experience been like navigating family relationships? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been tough. I, I do come from that very typical background, um, Mexican background of, of again, the, the traditional uh, where the where the men are, are manly men and 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 very religious and all of that. So it, it's definitely been tough. Uh, it was tough. It was tougher, but it's still it's still tough because uh, because of that, you know, of all the background. All the all the baggage that we come with. We're in Arizona. We and uh, we've been seeing a lot of anti-trans legislation crop up over the last five years. Um, what have you been doing to ensure that Daniel has a good sense of self, despite what we're seeing in our state or experiencing in our state? Oh my God! I mean, I that's a that, that's a that's a I feel like that's a tough question because um, I'm not. I haven't really been the one who's making sure that Daniel uh, has a a, uh, um, a safer place, and I'm I'm not saying that I don't participate or or I don't do anything to make sure that he's safer, uh, but I think that's been that's been all you, babe. That's been the job of the of 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 the Lisette Trujillo. Um, what I do is I make sure that there's a space. I try to make sure that there's space and there's there's uh, there's time, there's resources in order for us to do that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I tip my hat every time. But I also think too, because he's being short instead of like elaborating in the ways we would if the recording was turned off. Um, one of the ways in which he's done this was like, which we talk about often with the difficulties of family was really setting a strong boundary with his siblings and saying like, you are either going to support us and utilize pronouns and Daniel's name or you're out. And like, that was really hard, especially considering that he has such a large family that he's very close to, to have to like say, I'm choosing my kid first, right? And I think that that was, that laid the foundation for Daniel to have time to, you know, at the time he was eight. And so, and it was like, we were an early social transition, which means that we had just like cut his hair, put him in boy clothes, we're using he, him pronouns. Um, it really gave Daniel a foundation in which he was then being surrounded by people who were supportive and that level of anxiousness and anxiety that he felt when he was around unsupportive people was diminished because he just wasn't around them anymore. So I think that Jose has been uh, very strong 
in like always choosing Daniel and always doing everything that he can to like support Daniel and make sure that Daniel's in safe spaces. So oh, that was great. I, I, I'm sorry about that. I, I love it when someone else talks about my greatness. Um, I, I thought I thought I thought the question was more geared towards like policy and things like that. <laughs> now, Lisa, I'm here. I promise. Thank you for uh, interviewing as Jose because Jose told me what you told me. So I thought I was gonna get that response from him. And he was like, yeah, it's been tough, but Lisette does everything. So I just, I'm riding shotgun. What? Yeah, no, he oh. was like, he totally forgot what we talked about the last time. He totally forgot about the conversations that we had where I know this. I know he's like the baby of like 10 kids and he had to cut them all off. And he was okay with that because he was just like, look, if you're not riding with Daniel, then you ain't riding with me. I thought I was going to get all that. I was going to get all that super yeah. chewy. He gave me none of that. No Papa Chewy at all. Mm -mm. Nope. He was like, he's like, I don't know what to say. I, maybe he got shy because it's like you hit record. I don't know what happened. Anywho. Uh, are we now. are ganging up on you. No, totally. Because this is, this is, you're the interviewee and we're the interviewers. And so you're under the gun. So anywho, um, no, seriously, picking up on the set's question, do you have a contingency plan if things go like left in the state um, and get worse for trans people? Uh, no, no, we we don't. the The contingency plan is we stay here and we 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 either change it or we watch it burn. Okay, Lisette, I'm going to ask you the same question, answering for Chewy. No, no, really, <laughs> we don't. Like we talk about all these different things, right? Like we're like, okay, like. Um, if this happens, this, but at the end of the day, I think we both like, especially last legislative session, um, and before governor Hobbs won, we were like, okay, um, people would ask us this and we'd be, we would say, we don't have no real contingency other than to stay and fight. And if we had to flee, that would be like literally flee last minute with zero, Oh, like thought, you know what I mean? It would be like fleeing a war area, right? And so for us, it was, we've talked a lot about this, about like the need to stay put because there's a lot of people who can't leave, right? right. Um, and, and, and luckily we've made enough connections with people that we felt like we, we had the resources. Now I do go to the dark. Sometimes I call it the dark and I did have like a, like uh, three drinks in, you know, conversation with a sorority sister that was like, if this place burns, I'm flying Daniel to you. Um, and, but like, you know, I think we're hoping that we can bump a rail before we hit to that, like hit that point of like no return, right? The, 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 yeah, exactly. The thing about the contingency plan is that, is that uh, it, as a as an immigrant here in this country, I often would hear, "Well, if you don't like it, then go back to your country." You know, if you don't like the way things are, uh, you know, there's always your country there waiting for you. And it's almost like, not almost, but it feels it feels consistently. It feels like um, like uh, a a a bullying, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it's even more than bullying. It, it feels, it feels violent to mm -hmm. be like, 
okay, well, have this. If you don't have it, then I guess you're not eating. And it's like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go by your rules. So I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna change this. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you submit to the reality of humans. You're not gonna change the, you're not gonna change the, 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 the reality on me, and then make me get up and leave again. I'm not gonna do that. And so, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a personal thing. I, I, I feel like not only other people can't leave, but it's, it angers me. It's just the thought of, of of picking up and leaving uh, based on, on, on this ridiculous laws and, and, and ideas that, that our lawmakers. I agree. I, I think, you know, we often don't realize when we say just pick up and leave, everybody can't just pick up and leave. You all have planted roots. You have a business, you employ people, you, you, you're real, you're property owners. There's so much invested in Arizona at this point to just pick up and run, it's just not feasible. It's not sensible, it's not logical. And to a certain extent, it is defeatism. It is giving in to these discriminatory powers that be as if there are no other options. And you're right, an option is to fight, to fight tooth and nail, to change hearts and minds and legislation um, to ensure that you and your family can stay where you are and not feel like this is another great migration out of the racist South after emancipation because it just wasn't safe for certain people to stay in certain places. We have to fight back and I agree with you. So um, yeah, it is it is something that pisses me off and I'm in New Jersey, I'm in a safe state, but it's safe today. And if folks don't pay attention and get on the front foot, it may not be safe tomorrow. So we have to fight like hell to make sure that our children can live and not have to think about their identity at all. They can just be like every other person and just enjoy life. What advice do you have for parents of trans and non-binary youth to help keep them safe and sound and proud? Oh man. I mean, there's so much to do and I'm, I'm, I'm more than sure that most parents out there uh, trans and non-binary youth are are uh, looking for resources, thinking about what to do and and who to talk to. Um, but aside from that, um, and there are there are many resources out there. But aside aside from that, the one advice that I've noticed that has that has been the most impactful in our life, and I may be wrong, maybe correct me on this, is to to invest yourself your family into community invest into community because community is everything um in in wh whoever you are community is everything where, where when people are looking to to uh to when we came to this country as immigrants the very first thing that i noticed is we plugged into community otherwise we couldn't survive we plug it into community. Hey, who has a job? Who has a friend? Who has a who can lend me a car? Where can I? You know that kind of thing. Uh, who's winning? Who's winning? I, that's one of the things that I've, I've often spoke with Lisette about. I want to see the positive stories, right? I want to see the positive stories of 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 trans adults uh, and 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 thriving in life. And and so I would I would say blatantly, who's winning, right? Who doesn't have a negative story, a sad story, because those are plenty, but I want to see who's winning so that I can model, so that we can model and plug into that community. 
Um, and so, yeah, and anywhere I see that people, people who want to change their life and I don't know whether they have substance abuse or whatever, they go and they plug into community, whether it's, you know, AA or a church or whatever. Uh, this is no different. This is no different. We, we, we must plug into community. I love that. I love that. Oh, my goodness. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jose. Um, you are, as usual, a breath of fresh air. I am so happy that we had you on. This was Lisette's um, Mother's Day gift. Ta-da! <laughs> so, Jose, okay. stick around for this week's Allies and Assholes. Um, again, it's been a pleasure having you on with us. Now it's time for a reoccurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Steven, who are we talking about today? Our ally of the week is Amara Jones of Translash Media. Amara is a Peabody Emmy Award nominated journalist who created the series, The Anti-Trans Hate Machine. Amara has been highlighting this manufactured, violent legislative debate created by lobbies such as Alliance Defending Freedom and the Family Research Council. She has been championing the rights of trans youth and uplifting the voice of BIPOC trans people through her work with Translash. And it is because of this work that she won a GLAAD Media Award. I'm so happy. This week, we're doing something a little different. We're highlighting two allies. Our second ally, also won a GLAAD Media Award for his episode, The War Over Gender. Jon Stewart has been using his platform, The Problem with Jon Stewart, to inform people about what is happening to trans youth and their families across the country. I'm so grateful to these two for giving voice to our families and especially our children. I wanted to share this like quick story with you too about the importance of Jon Stewart because yesterday I had a parent telling me willfully um, that they had read an article that was like farmed out of the far right, you know? Um, and they just went on and on and on. And, and honestly, like I'm, I was too tired. I'm like, I have to like already, uh, contend with like far right opposition. I don't want to contend with like parents and in, in our parent spaces. And so I was like, go watch the problem. So thank you, John Stewart. You saved me like an hour of energy and time. Oh my God, that's awesome. Okay, so congratulations to Amar Jones and John Stewart for being our allies of the week. But our asshole of the week has to go to CNN for giving Trump a platform during this week's so-called presidential town hall. Trump uses time on CNN to lie once again to the public while at the same time dehumanizing and victim-blaming women for the violence they experience. Earlier that day, a court found Trump liable of defamation and battery in the lawsuit brought by E. Jean Carroll. He later took the CNN stage and made incendiary comments, perpetuating lies on election fraud, as well as minimizing the January 6th insurrection. Can you believe this, like, all in one day? Everyone was like, what the fuck, CNN? Like, as if anyone needs to give this pile of human feces a platform to spew even more lies. And this is why CNN is our asshole of the week. Horrible. Well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guest, Jose Trujillo, for spending time with us today. 
I would like to also thank the star of the show and today's Mother's Day host, Lisette Trujillo. Recognize it, Stephen. Come on. I want all the claps right now. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you, Stephen. I couldn't do this without you. And um, I just want to say thank you for always being so amazing all the time in all the spaces, Stephen. You're an incredible advocate. And I'm lucky to co-host this with you. I also want to say we couldn't do this without all of you, our listeners. So thanks for tuning in to the Parent Advocate Podcast. And as usual, be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things necessary to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. If you are thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 days a year from anywhere in the United States. It is 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the Human Rights Campaign at hrc.org. You've been listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Tune in again for another episode.